discuter de tout ça. I don't want to set the world on fire. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Good evening, good afternoon, or good morning, whenever it may be, wherever you may be, and however you may be hearing my voice. Whether it be via download through one of the many podcast platforms, or if you are listening to the premiere on the Alternate Current Radio's live stream, I appreciate you tuning in and joining me as we attempt to navigate the shark-infested waters of the agenda-centivized media and look past the propaganda. This is your daily dose of what's currently all the ruckus. What in God's name is going on in here? What was that ruckus? Uh, what ruckus? I was just in my office and I heard a ruckus. Could you describe the ruckus, sir? Watch your tongue, young man. Watch it. John Rappaport. What can I say about John Rappaport? Well, I guess I have just a few things I could say about John Rappaport. Number one, if you don't know who John Rappaport is, I can only assume that you are fairly new to the world of what is commonly referred to as the quote-unquote alternative media, because John is definitely one of the OGs, and as such. Number two, no doubt there may be some topics that John has reported on, and there may be some things that he may have said that you may personally disagree with, but there's no arguing the fact that he is a no-holds-barred, relentless, and dogged investigative reporter with years of experience and countless numbers of articles covering stories that the mainstream media wouldn't touch with a 10-foot-long pole. Oh, and number three, John will be my very special quote-unquote guest tonight for this week's edition of Open Mic Night. You're listening to Alternate Current Radio. I'm Adam Clark, and this is The Daily Ruckus. From the bio on his website, no more fakenews.com. John Rappaport has worked as a freelance investigative reporter for over 30 years. He is the author of three explosive collections, The Matrix Revealed, Exit from the Matrix, and Power Outside the Matrix. He has written articles on politics, health, media, culture, and art for LA Weekly, Spin Magazine, Stern, Village Voice, Nexus, CBS Health Watch, and other newspapers and magazines in the U.S and Europe. In 1982, the LA Weekly submitted his name for a Pulitzer Prize for his interview with the president of El Salvador University, where the military had taken over the campus. John has hosted, produced, and written radio programs and segments in Los Angeles and Las Vegas for KPFK and KLAV. He has appeared as a guest on over 200 radio and television programs, including ABC's Nightline, PBS's Tony Brown's Journal, and hard copy. In 1994, John ran for a seat in the U.S. Congress from the 29th District in Los Angeles. After six months of campaigning on a very small budget, he garnered 20% of the vote running against an incumbent who had occupied his seat for 20 years. In 1996, John started the Great Boycott against eight corporate chemical giants, Monsanto, Dow, DuPont, 
Bayer, Hoechst, Rhone Palenque, Imperial Chemical Industries, and Siba Gigi. The boycott continues to operate today. John has lectured extensively all over the U.S. on the question, who runs the world and what can we do about it? Since 2000, John has operated largely away from the mainstream, because as he puts it, quote, my research was not friendly to the conventional media. End quote. Over the last 30 years, John's independent research has encompassed such areas as deep politics, conspiracies, alternative health, the potential of the human imagination, mind control, the medical cartel, symbology, and solutions to the takeover of the planet by hidden elites. He maintains a consulting practice for private clients, the purpose of which is the expansion of personal creative power. A painter, John's work has been shown in galleries in Los Angeles and New York. His poetry has been published by the Massachusetts Review. He is a graduate of Amherst College with a Bachelor of Arts in Philosophy and lives with his wife Laura in San Diego. NoMoreFakeNews.com The following piece is taken from Mr. Rappaport's blog, which can be found at blog.nomorefakenews.com. The article, written July 2nd, 2021, is headlined, Pandemics are Staged on Television. And without further ado, I present to you the article in its entirety, spiced up a little bit by yours truly. Enjoy. When a new epidemic is launched and promoted, Despite the lack of good science and good evidence, it is jacked up on television screens. Images begin to flow. An emergency medical vehicle on a street. EMT personnel in hazmat suits. Load a man strapped down to a stretcher into the van. On another street, a man collapses on the sidewalk. We see a quarantined man sitting inside a huge plastic bubble on a third street. Cut to an airport lobby. Soldiers are patrolling the space among the crowds. Cut to a lab. Close up of vials of liquid. Camera pulls back. Techs in light green scrubs are placing the vials into slots of a tabletop machine. Auditorium. A man on a platform wearing a doctor's white coat is pointing a wand at a large screen on which a chart is displayed for the audience. Back to the street. People are wearing face masks. These images wash over the television viewer. Meanwhile, the anchor is imparting his prepared meaning. The government today issued a ban on all travel into and out of the city. Hundreds of flights have been cancelled. Scientists are rushing to develop a vaccine. The television audience has an impression of knowing something. They're in the flow. The flow of the news. They're in the images. Network, the 1976 film written by Patty Chayefsky, reveals what media kings would do if they unchained their basic instincts and galloped all the way into the madness of slash-and-burn Roman circus. The audience is jaded beyond recall. It needs new shocks to the system every day. The adrenaline must flow. The line between reporting the news and inventing it? Erase it. Celebrate the erasure. Watch ratings soar. Why pretend anymore? Why spend countless hours preparing and broadcasting synthetic artificial news as if it were real? Does the audience care about such niceties? The audience just wants action. The film proceeds from these premises. Arthur Jensen, head of the corporation that owns the network, speaks to unhinged network newsman Howard Beale, who has revealed on air a piece of the real planetary power structure in a few moments of sanity. You have meddled with the primal forces of nature, Mr. Beale, and I won't have it! Is that clear? 
You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There are no Russians. There are no Arabs. There are no third worlds. There is no West. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and main, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. Petrodollars, electrodollars, multidollars, Reichmarks, rims, rubles, pounds, and shekels. It is the international system of currency which determines the totality of life on this planet. That is the natural order of things today. That is the atomic and subatomic and galactic structure of things today. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Head of programming for the network, Diane Christensen, shifts the whole news department over to the entertainment division. Thus emerge new shows with soaring ratings. Howard Beale, Prophet of the Airwaves, The Mao Zedong Hour, in which a guerrilla group films itself carrying out armed bank robberies, and Sybil the Soothsayer, a tarot reader. Diana becomes the network's new executive star. There is no longer even a pretense of a need for news anchors to appear authoritative objective, or rational. Diana Christensen is unstoppable. She sees with burning clarity that audiences are bored to the point of exhaustion. They now require, as at the end of the Roman Empire, extreme entertainment. They want more violence, more insanity, out in the open, on television. In promoting her kind of news division, she tells network executives, Look, we've got a bunch of hobgoblin radicals called the Ecumenical Liberation Army who go around taking home movies of themselves robbing banks. Now maybe they'll take movies of themselves kidnapping heiresses, um, hijacking 747s, bombing bridges, assassinating ambassadors. Well, we'd open each week's segment with that authentic footage, hire a couple of writers to write some story behind that footage, and we've got ourselves a series. Did you see the overnights on the network news? It has an 8 in New York, a 9 in LA, and a 27 share in both cities. Last night, Howard Beale went on the air and yelled bullshit for two minutes, and I can tell you right now that tonight's show will get a 30 share at least. I think we've lucked into something. I see Howard Beale as a latter-day prophet, a magnificent messianic figure inveighing against the hypocrisies of our times, a strip saponarola Monday through Friday that I tell you, Frank, could just go through the roof. And I'm talking about a $6 cost per thousand show. I'm talking about a hundred, a hundred thirty thousand dollar minutes. Do you want to figure out the revenues of a strip show that sells for a hundred thousand bucks a minute? One show like that could pull this whole network right out of the home now, Frank. It's being handed to us on a plate. Television in the quote-unquote real world isn't all the way there yet, but it's close. In Network, Diana Christensen personifies the news. She is the electric, thrill-seeking, non-stop force that is terrified of silence. She lives and feeds on adrenaline. So does the viewing public. Nothing else ultimately matters. Ratings are the top line and the bottom line. The individual and his thoughts are completely irrelevant. Howard Beale, 
over the cliff, a newsman screaming on air about the insanity of the news is perfectly acceptable because the audience is simply responding to Beale's incohate outrage and their own. Nothing deeper is explored. What could have resulted in a true popular rebellion is short-circuited. Beale becomes a crazy loon a novelty item, yet one more distraction. When, in a brief interlude of clarity, he begins telling his audience about the takeover of society by mega-corporations and mega-money, his show droops, ratings collapse, Diana is no longer interested in him, she wants to sack him. However, Arthur Jensen, the head of the corporation that owns the television network, wants to keep Beale on the air as a messenger of the quote-unquote galactic truth about the beneficial integration of all human activities activity under the rubric of global money and global power. He converts Beale to his cause. Diana sees only one way out of this ratings disaster. Kill Beale on air during his show. And so it is done. Network also shows us the audience becoming actor, player, participant. The audience is jumping out of its skin to be recognized, courted, and adored as a mighty rolling force embodying no particular meaning. Audience wants to be a star. Audience wants to be news. Audience wants its actions to be shown on television. That establishes its legitimacy. Nothing else is necessary. Diana knows it, and she is more than willing to accommodate this frantic desire if only her bosses will let her go all the way. The best film ever made about television's war on the population, Network stages only a few minutes of on-air television. The rest of the film is dialogue and monologue about television. Thus, you could say that, in this case, word defeats image, which was the screenwriter's intent. Even when showing what happens on the TV screen, Network bursts forth with lines like these from newsman Howard Beale at the end of his rope, on camera, speaking to his in-studio audience and millions of people in their homes. So you listen to me. Listen to me. Television is not the truth. Television is a goddamn amusement park. Television is a circus, a carnival, a traveling troupe of acrobats, storytellers, dancers, singers, jugglers, sideshow freaks, lion tamers, and football players. We're in the boredom-killing business. We deal in illusions, man. None of it is true. But you people sit there day after day, night after night, all ages, colors, creeds, we're all you know. You're beginning to believe the illusions we're spinning here. You're beginning to think that the tube is reality and that your own lives are unreal. You do whatever the tube tells you. You dress like the tube. You ate like the tube. You raise your children like the tube. You even think like the tube. This is mass madness, you maniacs. In God's name, you people are the real thing. We are the illusion. It is Beale's language and the passion with which he delivers it that constitutes his dangerous weapon. Therefore, the network transforms him into a cheap religious figure whose audience slathers him with absurd adoration. Television's enemy is the word. Its currency is image. Beale occasionally breaks through the image and defiles it. He cracks the egg. He stops the picture flow. He brings back the sound and rhythm of spoken poetry. That is his true transgression against the medium that employs him. The modern matrix has everything to do with how knowledge is acquired. Television, in the main, 
does not attempt to impart knowledge. It strives to give the viewer the impression that he knows something. There is a difference. The impression of knowing is a feeling, a conviction, a belief the viewer holds after he has watched moving images on a screen and listened to a narrator. This is what the viewer prefers. He wants no part of knowledge. A basic premise of modern age is, quote, everything is connected to everything. End quote. This fits quite well with the experience of watching video flow. Example, we see angry crowds on the street of a foreign city, then young people on their cell phones sitting in an outdoor cafe, then the marble lobby of a government building where men in suits are walking, standing in groups talking to each other, then at night, rockets exploding in the sky, then armored vehicles moving through a gate into the city, then clouds of smoke on another street, and people running, chased by police. A flow of consecutive images. The sequence, obviously, has been assembled by a news editor, but the viewing audience isn't aware of that. They're watching the interconnected images and listening to a news anchor tell a story that colors every image. Viewers thus believe something. Television has imparted a sensation to them. Therefore, a short circuit occurs in the mind. When you export this pattern out to a whole society, you are talking about a dominant method through which quote-unquote knowledge is groped and held close. Did you see that fantastic video about the Iraq war? It showed that Saddam actually had bioweapons. Really? How did they show that? Well, I don't remember, but watch it, you'll see. And that's another feature of the modern acquisition of quote-unquote knowledge, amnesia about details. The viewer can't recall key features of what he saw, or if he can, he can't describe them because he was inside them, busy building up his impression of knowing something. Narrative visual television story strips out and discards conceptual analysis. To the extent it exists, it's wrapped around and inside the image and the narration. Paddy Chayefsky made his pen a sword because he was writing a movie about television against television. He was pitting word against image. When a technology, such as television, turns into a method of of perception, reality is churned inside out. People watch TV through TV eyes. Mind control is no longer something merely imposed from the outside. It is a matrix of a self-feeding, self-demanding loop. Willing devotees of the image want images. The food stamps of the programmed society. The triumph of network is that it makes its words win over pictures in a picture. A pandemic, the false pandemic I've been rejecting in many articles, is delivered through video flow and narration. Stacked and cut images. There is no challenge to the flow in any basic way through the intrusion of actual knowledge because that would shut down the parade of images and nullify the reasons for broadcasting them in the first place. The old theater adage, the show must go on, when adapted for television, becomes the flow must go on. Once its course is set, there can be no turning back. The television audience, imprisoned in homes, rides the river. So turn off your television sets, turn them off now, turn them off right now, turn them off and leave them off, turn them off right in the middle of the sentence I'm speaking to you now, turn them off! For the ACR, I'm Adam Clark, and this has been The Daily Ruckus for Friday, July 9, 2021. For more information, please visit alternatecurrentradio.com.